We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed hello sunshine i'm alexi lawless and welcome to the state of the union podcast where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red white and blue colored glasses this episode we'll be talking the mls redemption campaigns that are going on arsenal's failure yeah i said it geo the superest of subs michael j fox getting rid of ties air apologizing to fans listening to fans running from fans getting attacked by fans and so much more but first joining me as always my friend my colleague my guiding light david mossy a soccer savant and a fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire mossy how you doing on this monday may 15th in the year 2023 for those that can't see mossy is in the screen in front of me so that means that he is on the road i'm assuming continuing your uh your travels and your vacation and your visitation over there on the uh on the east coast in new york right Correct. I am still in New York. This was a longer trip than usual. I found a nice little sweet spot in our schedule that allowed me to come here for 10 days to visit my parents. So, yeah, I'm still in the midst of that visit. Uh, have you uh, been watching anything or seeing anything there? you got a couple more days before you return, but uh, anything uh, float your boat? Well, we had a very cool day on Friday. We drove to Hyde Park. We took a tour of the Vanderbilt Mansion and then went to the Franklin Roosevelt Presidential Library, which was excellent. On Tuesday night, we have the Broadway show Leopoldstadt. One thing I do not have to look forward to is Game 7 <laughs> Knicks Heat because the Knicks went out in six, so that's disappointing. But I did attend a sporting event this weekend. We'll get to that in a minute when we start our MLS weekend review. Would you say that your Knicks failed? Uh, no. Uh, no. They had a very good season. Miami's a better team, so I'm totally at peace with how. Even though you didn't get to fight. see your uh, your your uh, your game seven. All right, um, I uh, let's see what did I watch. Obviously, I was in the air and saw, saw some stuff, but um, what stuck out? The uh, I I finally got to see the air movie. Speaking of air, um, with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck uh, on the whole signing of Michael Jordan and the um, uh, the creation and introduction of Air Jordan. And what that brand uh, became. I liked it. I, I'm not sure I liked it as much as, as you did. And I'm not sure that I liked it as much as the general uh, population did. Uh, but it was cool. And it was fun. And, you know, it's it it's knee deep in this, this moment, this decade, um, and this era that I lived through. And so all the nostalgia, you know, the songs and the dress and the talk and all the references, the cultural references, they got me. But it also tended to make it a lot more cool and glamorous than it maybe actually was that maybe actually was back there. Uh, the, uh, the other thing um, I saw was um, a documentary called still 
a Michael J. Fox movie. That's the official name of it. Michael J. Fox, you may remember him from Back to the Future, wonderful um, actor. And, uh, you know, it goes through all of his uh, incredible success, but also his, uh, you know, his incredible challenges when it comes to his health. And just just a an inspiring type of character and a whole lot more substance than just what you get when you see him as um, as the actor or as the actor that uh, was diagnosed with Parkinson's very early on in life and has had to deal with it for many, many years. But I recommend it. I think it's on Apple. Uh, so uh, check that out. Moss, you ready to light this candle? Let's do it. All right. Uh, as, as you mentioned, you were in New York and uh, you decided to uh, check out the Hudson Derby, Derby, whatever you want to call it over there. Yes, I was at Red Bull Arena on Saturday night. I witnessed the Red Bulls 1-0 victory over NYCFC. Omer Fernandez with the goal in the second half. That's two wins out of two for Troy Lassane on the Red Bulls bench. They also won an Open Cup game 1-0 over D.C. with Omer Fernandez scoring the only goal there. So history repeated itself here. How was the environment over there? Because there's so much talk about you know what the environment is and being relevant. And obviously this is a... Yeah, this is a traditional type of rivalry between these two teams. And there's the red and the blue and the Hudson River and blah, blah, blah. And when we say New York, when we're talking about the Red Bulls, we're really talking about New Jersey and all that. But uh, did you enjoy the experience? Absolutely. I thought it was a great atmosphere. The fact that it was a rivalry game, you could sense there was heightened excitement in the air. So, uh, yeah, there were some NYCFC fans there, too, making their presence felt. But uh they walked away disappointed. It was the Red Bulls fans who were celebrating at the end. Is it true that uh, you got stood up uh, by one of our uh, fans out there? Uh, yes. Uh, a member of an NYCFC supporters group was hounding me on Twitter in the days leading up to this game, uh, wanting me to meet up with him. And he was going to buy me a beer and give me a scarf that I was going to show off on the pod. And sure enough, I got there early. And then he messaged me saying that he ended up not going to the game. Uh, so maybe next time. Typical flaky NYCFC uh, conduct there. Boy, oh boy. Well, they ended up uh, they ended up losing. And, you know, I, I saw it from afar. Uh, Omer, you know, he, he hit this looping shot that went in that you uh, if you're watching, uh, you just saw. And so, yeah, for in that moment, you know, New York. And when I say New York, I mean, New Jersey is uh, is red. Uh, what else did you watch this weekend? Well, can I just say on NYCFC? Sure. Uh, the lack of a center forward. I mean, it's so much possession without purpose. They don't even create scoring opportunities, much less score goals. They had 70% possession and had one shot on target the whole game. So yeah, wa- watching them live, I had perfect seats right at midfield. So I got a great view and, and it's just a real problem for them. They, they get the ball in dangerous positions, but there's nobody making those sorts of center forward runs and getting themselves in position to score goals. So and you don't care, but, you, have to but you don't care what that person ultimately looks like. You just need somebody lethal and ruthless up top because this isn't a situation where it's, let's say, the mothership. When we talk about Man City, uh, a Man City without Erlen Holland, because they have certainly had players that aren't Erlen Holland that have been able to do the job. They just have, don't have anybody consistently and ruthless up top. Correct. And and very disappointed in Tyler's Magno. I was texting with our good friend Ian Joy about this. Just everything for him right now is in slow motion. There's no conviction about anything he's done. he does. Uh, he just feels like a player that's regressing. It's very disappointing to watch. Um, all right. What other, uh, what other games uh, took your fancy here? Uh, next up, DC United Nashville finished 1-1. Uh, 
Christian Benteke set out with an injury. Taxi had to come off, but the kids came to the rescue for DC late. Uh, they were down 1-0, and then Fletcher set up Kudi Pietro for the equalizer, so they salvage a point. You know, I had spent my uh, week, as for those that listen, um, in DC doing um, you know some lobbying and going all over there. And I had, um, I went to a women's game uh, at the stadium, and so I was you know picturing what this game ultimately would look like from a DC United uh, perspective. They done, actually done a lot of things to improve that stadium because I'll be honest, you know, the stadium in in, in DC um, relative to other stadiums, it's, it's underwhelming. And it, they didn't spend the money that others have spent, but over the years they have done some improvements, and it's 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 gotten better. Is it the best stadium environment and the best stadium in MLS? Absolutely not. But at least this year they have a team that they can be proud of when it comes to uh, what DC United is doing. And you know Nashville, uh, Nashville flying, and so well done to DC for coming back and uh, and making it a game, and you know salvaging a point from a home game. Uh, next up, Inter-Miami 2-1 win over New England. Joseph Martinez among the scores, his 101st MLS regular season goal. Inter-Miami, after losing six straight MLS games, have now won three in a row. Yeah, so that you know that's a theme that I just wanted to touch on. Uh, and I don't know if it's just relative to the, the manufactured parody that MLS uh, has, you know, that we talk about often, but there is this redemption um, narrative going on when it comes to a bunch of not just teams, but also coaches on the hot seat. And, you know, Neville, and, and I'm not saying he's not on the hot seat, he's going to continue to be. But as you mentioned, three wins in a row, three MLS wins in a row, if you don't even count the uh, the Open Cup winnings uh, that's going on. Montreal with Losada up there, four wins in a row. SKC with Peter Vermes, two wins in a row. We're going to talk more about, you know, some other stuff there. And obviously the LA Galaxy um, uh, winning, which we'll talk about here in, here in a second. But you know, MLS, I don't know any if it does any more so than others. If you give teams time, they will they will change and they will adjust going forward. And coaches, especially when you give them a long lease, when you're talking about uh, a guy like Vermes and Neville uh, to a certain extent, at some point they may come good. They might not, but and I, and they still have a long way to go because they're still not necessarily at, at the place that they want to be from a. Uh, a standings perspective, but this was a big result for Miami and Neville against arguably the best team in the league with Bruce Arena and, and company coming down there. And it was, you know, it was it was difficult. It was not uh, it was not easy, but they held on for a huge, huge win. And talk about a, rege- a redemption type of story. Joseph Martinez uh, coming through yet again. Uh, next up, Dallas with a 1-0 win away to Austin. Jesus Ferreira with a late winner, and then he mimicked Lionel Messi's iconic celebration at the Bernabeu back in 2017. Jesus off to another good start this season. Jesus off to another good start, and it, it doesn't matter because for a lot of people, he's an MLS player, and so he's doing it in MLS, and they don't count. Evidently, goals don't count in MLS. And if he were doing the same thing and playing in the Eredivisie or, or someplace else, he would be looked at differently. And ultimately, when he got his opportunity in the World Cup, he, he didn't perform. When I say perform, it means scoring goals. But he doesn't care about that. He has certainly moved on. Others will not have moved on. So it doesn't matter what he does. But, you know, his his ability to find these spaces and then his ability to consistently finish and even his goal this weekend I always there's always a part of me that thinks it's luck when a goal scorer puts it through the goalkeeper's legs. Um, and I, I can hear 
you know, our, our friend Eric Winalda, if he is listening to this, and I know he is, uh, saying that's crazy. It's part of the the talent and the technique, especially when goalkeepers try to make themselves as big as possible. So putting it through a defender's legs or putting it through a goalkeeper's legs is actually a talent and it is to be valued and and uh, praised even from Neanderthals like me. So well, well done to him. Uh, on the other side, though, Mossy, I mean, I got to say that, you know, Josh Wolf, Austin has not won a game since let's look here uh, since the 12th of March. And, you know, that's that's not a good look for this Austin team that was and maybe it was just an aberration. Maybe it was just an anomaly that, that was one of the elite teams. And it's just it, it's not going well uh, for uh, for Austin right now. Um, we'll, we'll talk about some uh, other stuff going forward. But you said six goals in 12 matches for Jesus Ferreira. Well, good for him. And, you know, it, that warrants a call in, I would think, to the national team or a continued call up to the national team, which will explode some heads and irritate those uh, <laughs> those anti MLSers out there. You mentioned him being an MLS player. Interesting rumors surrounding him the past few days. Uh, the Napoli owner, Aurelio Di Laurentiis, who's riding high after the Serie A title, but he's kind of a wacky figure. He came out and said, Napoli want to sign an American player. Mm. Didn't specify who, just said, I want an American player on the team next season. And Jesus Ferreira emerged as a name that people were talking about, although Jesus himself kind of shot that down. He said it was news to him after this game. He hasn't heard anything. Nobody's contacted him, so we'll see. But... At the very least, his name is getting mentioned. Well, uh, I mean, this is something... Really ground Italian champion. Yeah, but this is also something that I think MLS needs to really lean into. And, you know, um, and whether this player comes from MLS, not necessarily, but from an MLS perspective, you can not only provide talent to some of these teams, but you can provide American talent. And I love the fact that he's saying it out loud and being honest about the fact that if and when an American player is playing for your European team, it makes it that much more appealing. And when I say appealing, that much more marketable to an emerging, emerging American audience. And look, we, we talk all the time about what is, the, what is the connection? I mean, hell, we do a show about it. And, and it, it does matter. And so you're not, do, you're not doing business right if you don't recognize that the, in this case, the nationality of the player can actually enhance your brand and all of these brands. And that's what they are. They want to be global. And we've talked about, you know, there's gold in them. They're American soccer hills and people want to mine it. And one of the surest way of, of doing that is having an American uh, connection to your team on the field. So whether it's Jesus Ferrer or anybody else, I just like the fact and I know he's crazy, but at least he said it out loud because it's not that is not a crazy type of uh, attitude to have going forward. Uh, Charlotte with a 3-1 away win over Atlanta. It's Atlanta's fourth straight defeat in all competitions. They conceded two goals to Joseph Martinez last time out. And then they concede two goals here to another former player, Justin Merrim, who did not celebrate, which I know is something you're not a big fan of, that whole not celebrating against your former team nonsense. But nevertheless, he scored twice. Charlotte get the points. Andrew Gutman sent off early in the second half after pulling down Jozwiak uh, right in front of goal. 
he had an interesting reaction to that red card, which I know you're going to discuss uh, later on on the pod. Uh, what did you make of this result? Yeah, so I'll discuss a little bit more about you know the relationship between players and fans. Um, I will say to this, Justin Mir- Miram, I love him as a player and as a person. Uh, I have a, a soft spot in my heart because of his uh, Michigan affiliation uh, and growing up there. And this is a guy who has made an entire career out of playing in Major League Soccer. First off, if he's not going to celebrate anytime he scores against a former team, <laughs> he's, he's gonna, it's going to limit his celebration uh, uh, abilities. I, I don't like it. Justin, what are you doing? Because as I've said before, I actually think what you're, what you're trying to do is actually, actually ends up being the, having the opposite effect. What you're trying to do is show respect and deference to an organization that, that in his words, treated him well. I, I get that. That's all wonderful. But you're not playing for that team anymore. And what you really end up doing is insulting your current team and your current fan base by not celebrating. The most important and most difficult thing to do in the game is to score goals. And if and when it is done, you should celebrate. I don't care how it is, you know, uh, that you celebrate, but but to do the anti-celebration, I just think it's disrespectful to the team that in that moment has recognized your value, that in that moment wants to pay you money, that in that moment wants to celebrate you for the player that you are. So, you know, I know I know people do it and it drives me crazy each and every time because each and every I have yet to see it where it comes off as genuine in the respect for the team that you came from. Even if you're completely associated with that team, you're a goddamn professional soccer player and you're a goal scorer. That is what you do. And so when you do it for the team that is paying you money and that realizes your value, I think you, I think you, I think you devalue yourself and I think you disrespect the position and the ultimate talent and ability that you have to score the goal by not celebrating. Anyway, I love, uh, I love, the, I love Justin. So, uh, the LA galaxy with a nice win two one over San Jose, uh, Jovalich among the scores. He found the back net right after replacing Chicharito. Yeah. I mean, look, he, he ta- we're going to talk about, uh, in a, another super sub later on in the, in the pod here, but Jovalich coming on and scoring goals. And I, I love the way that, you know, cause you can, Look, these are all big egos and these are all big personalities. And you come on for Chicharito and then do the very thing that he was on the field to do. You could you could see how that dynamic might get weird. And yet he ran to the bench. Chicharito was part of the celebration. And so that type of camaraderie and um Maybe it's not begrudging, but at least respect. But maybe it is begrudging respect, but there's still respect. I thought that uh, that, that was important. Um, you know, for for such a... And we talked uh, last week about on the pod about how MLS has kind of moved on from the Cali Classico. It, it was kind of a dud of a game and kind of a dud of a Classico. I mean, I know the end was, uh, was great from a Galaxy perspective, but it was a... It wasn't a great crowd. It wasn't great energy. I actually... And when I was watching it, just from the pure aesthetic of it, uh, I was reminded of uh, Don Garber's quote from, what was it, last week when he was talking about the U.S. Open Cup 
and the uh, the appearance and the aesthetic of it where he said from our perspective it's a very poor reflection on what we're trying to do with soccer at the highest level now that was garber talking about the open cup but it very well could apply could apply to this uh, situation where the cali classico was anything but in terms of the energy and i think it actually just highlighted what i said last week where when it comes to the la galaxy their major rival and the thing that blows the Cali Classico out of the water is uh, is El Trafico. Now, the Galaxy certainly have problems and if, and we've talked about it with their uh, with their fan base and what's going on and the protests and all that, but it it didn't generate any any energy in the way that I thought that that it should. But for Greg Vanny and company, ultimately all they care about is getting the win and a much, much needed win. They still got plenty of work to go, but to come up against San Jose, especially a San Jose in 2023, which is one of the the very good teams. I'm not yet ready to give them elite, but uh, ultimately come up with a uh, two to one. It, it's basically two, two, to, two to nothing, and they got a real late uh, goal at San Jose, consolation goal there. But big win in terms of the points uh, against San Jose for, uh, for, Greg, uh, for Greg Vanny, who, again, is also under uh, a tremendous amount of pressure. And speaking of pressure, I mentioned Josh Wolf over there at, um, uh, at Austin, who I think is uh, certainly on the hot seat, and Bob Bradley. You know, in this redemption moment, Mossy, where we're seeing people like Peter Vermes, and he actually has come out and said that, you know, he is, it's fueling him to try to get back in the good graces and to try to show what obviously he believes is that he is one of the great coaches and that he can get this team out of the hole. You know, Bob Bradley, it's not going well for Bob Bradley right now. And so, Bob Bradley and Josh Wolf, they are searching for that redemption story and that. Um, that return to greatness, uh, if you will. I don't know if it can't come to everybody because somebody's got to lose on the other side uh, right now. Any other uh, games or moments that you want to uh, hit? Well, I'll just say Toronto, last place in the East. Um, and Montreal, you said four straight MLS wins. It's six straight in all competitions, including two in a row over Toronto because they also beat them in the Canadian Championship and then they turn around and beat them this weekend in MLS. And then one last one I'm going to sneak in here. Uh, Portland, 3-1 win over Vancouver, Cascadia Cup. Evander with two goals. He had two assists in their previous MLS game against Austin. So my Brazilian boy starting to cook, as the kids say. All right. All right. All right. All right. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll take a dive into Europe and all the goings on there. Don't go anywhere. Okay. Welcome back. Uh, should we take a trip around Europe, Mossy, and uh, see what was going on? Because we've got some stuff to talk about here. Yes, uh, Sean Sullivan did want me to mention first. We, we spoke in the first segment about the rumors linking Jesus Ferreira to Napoli. We're not going to do this yet today, but we want to promote that at some point in the coming weeks, we're going to have a big Yanks Abroad transfer segment. We're going to discuss the futures of everybody from Christian Pulisic to Gio Reyna to Ricardo Pepe to Serginio Des to Yunus Musa. We'll go through each of them and whether they should leave their current club and if so, potential destinations. So you can look forward to that in the coming weeks. What? I, I think it's appropriate because I think that there's going to be a lot of movement. I think there's going to be a lot of interest. And as we get set for a big summer and obviously a big three years, because all of this is relative to the national team, uh, the U.S. national team, right? Um, you know, these these are important things. Having players playing, first and foremost, having players playing well, all of that kind of stuff is uh, is important. And it's also a good thing in that there's interest. And it generates interest in these players. It generates more interest in American players uh, going forward. Even if 
you know, things haven't gone well, there is still interest and there is still people that recognize their talent and value. So, yeah, we will uh, we will definitely do that. All right. Let's get back to what is actually happening right now. Uh, Masi, should we start over there in England? Yeah, I mean, three of the players that will be part of that transfer discussion, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney and Brendan Aronson, and obviously their futures affected by whether Leeds get relegated or not. So that's where we'll lead off our weekend review. Uh, Leeds, a 2-2 draw at home against Newcastle. Leeds uh, took the lead 1-0, had a chance to go 2-0 up, but Patrick Bamford denied from the penalty spot by Nick Pope. Then Newcastle scored twice. Callum Wilson from the penalty spot both times. But give Leeds credit. They fought back. They got an equalizer. So at end of 2-2, they salvage a point in this one. Is Patrick Bamford a good player, Mossy? A good soccer player in your eyes? Uh, not in the eyes of some U.S. fans who have adopted Leeds as their team. And yeah, every, every weekend I look down on Twitter and I see U.S. fans crushing the guy. I, I mean, know Warren Barton is a fan, interesting. Really? I mean, it, w- if he were to come over to MLS and be a, be a player over here, what, what type of player? Is there a comp uh, out there? I mean, look, we, we famously saw um, Bradley Wright Phillips who you know, wasn't a, a great big star and wasn't doing great things over, come over and be a star. So that can, that can certainly happen. Also, we've seen great stars that have come over and haven't been able to adjust. But how good ultimately a soccer player is he? Because I watch this guy each and every week, and I, I don't get it. <laughs> There's some talent there, but yeah, he's, he's been in a real rut in front of goal this season. So yeah. You, <laughs> All right. Other that- than that, he's been great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but nevertheless, uh, Leeds uh, 18th in the table with two games to play. Uh, their last two are away to West Ham and home to Tottenham. So, yeah, we'll see if Big Sam can keep them up. And, uh, you know, by the time you're listening to this, we will have had another game played by uh, Leicester, right? I mean, they're playing tonight. And uh, Correct. so that uh, could they could playing Liverpool. They could. Le- well, I mean, they could. Things could happen. But uh, but if they were to find points or to. Uh, yeah, they could le- they could leapfrog Leeds, and then Le Leeds uh, would go to the eighteen. Yeah, I mean, look, this is going to be a struggle right right down to it, as we've said all along. And you know, Leeds hoping that, that Big Sam has that magic up his sleeve uh, once again. Did you see? So yeah, this is in the way that they came back. Well done to Leeds, but still, they will look as maybe a missed opportunity. Although Newcastle, we know, is a wonderful team this year. Um, you know, this gets into a theme that we're talk that we're going to talk about on this show uh, at different times about the relationship with uh, with fans. We talked about it with Justin Miram and you know not celebrating goals and at times what has to be a a strange dynamic, a love hate type of relationship and stuff like that. And yet, you know, at the end of this game, we saw a uh, a Leeds fan <laughs> come on the field, and I shouldn't laugh about it because it can be incredibly. Um, I, I would think for anybody involved, dangerous, uh, and basically come up and assault in a shoving manner, uh, Newcastle manager Eddie Howe. And I get it. You're angry. You're you're emotional. And a lot of times, let's be honest, you're probably on something, um, and you're, or you're inebriated or whatever it ends up being, which is no, which is absolutely no excuse. But don't be a dick. I mean, I I I know I say that week in and week out, but it, there there's no absolutely no justification for coming on the field in an aggressive manner and assaulting people. I know that there's times where it's a celebratory type of thing. I, I, you know, I get that. And there's a, you know, a recognition that this is a memorable type of moment, but these things that we are seeing, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. And certainly a, a fan coming on the field 
it's just, I, I don't understand the mindset. And that's the problem. It's mindless. There is no mindset uh, ultimately. And so throw the book at him or her, depending on whoever it is that comes on the field. And I don't ever have to see them again. Uh, Leeds got some good news on Sunday. Everton, the team, as of this taping, directly above them in the table, uh, suffered a 3-0 home defeat to Manchester City. Ilkay Gundogan with two lovely oh. goals, won this nifty finish with his back to the goal, and then, and then a curling free kick. Erlen Holland also on target, his 36th Premier League goal of the season, 52nd in all competitions. That result obviously had title race implications as well. City won that game and put their feet up and watched Arsenal get absolutely drilled by Brighton 3-0 at the Emirates. All the goals came in the second half. So that means City now with a four-point advantage and a game in hand. It could all be over next weekend. Arsenal play first. They're away to Nottingham Forest. If they lose that game, City clinch. And even if Arsenal win it, uh, City are home to Chelsea. If they win that game, Manchester City are champions, which I suspect they will uh, clinch next weekend. All right. So listen, we knew that Arsenal was going to have to sustain. And we also knew that given the fact that for this group, this was something new and this was rarefied air. And for much of the season being the ones that everybody looked up to, including Man City, that that was going to be a different type of existence. And would they be able to sustain and endure? Ultimately, we find out that they, that they couldn't. I think what's disappointing, though, is that it's one thing to go out with a bang, but still to go out. It's another thing to go out with a whimper. And I think that's what's what would be disappointing if I was an Arsenal fan. And from the outside, that's why I look at this ultimately as you know, an incredible season and one certainly to be celebrated and praised. But, you know, and Brighton's had a, had a wonderful season. And if you didn't know the narrative and the situation of the entire season, this EPL season, and you watched that game, who would you think had been at, at, in the number one position through most of the season? After watching no, that game, absolutely right. This was not a smash and grab, right? The better team, but yeah, th this debate over Arsenal has gotten stupid because people are arguing two extremes. It's either they bottled it or there's nothing to criticize, and the answer is somewhere in the middle, as you just said. They had a very good season overall, but it's been a disappointing ending. Some really poor results that made it easier on City than it should have been. We've all witnessed title races recently where a team did nothing wrong, handled their business finished the season strong, but got pipped by City at the end. It happened twice to Liverpool in the last five years. That's not what happened here. City are going to clinch this title with two games to spare. The way things are trending, they're probably going to finish eight points or so clear of Arsenal, which given the lead Arsenal had uh, means, yes, City were very good, but Arsenal also did some things wrong here. They, this is a team that drew last place Southampton at home. So it's okay to point that out. And, and Arsenal fans get very defensive. Well, but if you told us beforehand we were going to finish second, we all would have taken it and we've had a great season and there's nothing to criticize. Manchester City are just better. Yes, they are. But if you're accurately telling the story of this title race, it does involve Arsenal cracking under the pressure and having some terrible results as well. Yeah. And that's why I think it's justified to say that this season was a failure relative to winning the title. Was it a step forward for this team? Yeah, but this is also not just some podunk little team, all right? This is this is Arsenal. There is a history, there is a tradition, there is obviously success that, to be fair, next generations have had to try to live up to. And that's why I think everyone was so interested and many people were excited that we were going to finally see a team attempt to live up to the past, you know, that they came at it and ultimately 
Man City was part of it. Well, that was going to be for anybody who attempted to dethrone Man City. But again, it goes back to what you say. If they so bottling it, yeah, they bottled it. They gave it away in the end when it was in the palm of their hand. And that's that's different than getting pipped right at the end or, you know, losing out on a point or goal differential or something or something like that. You showed through all the throughout the year that you were not only better, but you were dramatically better than almost all of the rest of the teams. And yet when it really came down to it, when it really meant something, you screwed the pooch. So, yeah, I mean, look, Arteta and and company are are only going to kick on from here. And they will certainly, as will many Arsenal fans, look at this as ultimately an incredible success. But if they don't kick on and next year they either regress or kind of revert and they're just one of the good teams next year and this has not changed them in any way, then this will forever be the one that got away. Absolutely. Uh, in terms of the title race in Germany, both Dortmund and Bayern with emphatic victories. We'll start with Dortmund, 5-2 over Gladbach. Their goals, Haller scored twice. Malin, Jude Bellingham, and Gio Reyna found the back of the net with <laughs> virtually the last kick of the game. A free kick by Guerrero. The goalkeeper spilled it, and then Gio kind of bundled it over for his seventh Bundesliga goal of the campaign. The record for an American is nine. Eric Winalda with Sauerbrücken back in 92-93. What a strange season for Gio Reyna. But Eric did it as a starter, right? I yeah. believe so. Yeah. I mean, he'll tell us if we get that, if we get that wrong. But ultimately, I mean, it, it, it's, it's just so amazing that, you know, part of the, um, part of the angst that ex- has existed relative to Gio Reyna is in large part due to the fact that he was a substitute in the World Cup in Qatar. And yet, and I know, look, the U.S. men's national team is a different team than Dortmund. I, I, I get that. But the, he's, he's kind of painted himself into this, into this, uh, this situation <laughs> that he doesn't necessarily want to, want to be in as this super sub. But to his credit, you know, he's come in and done exactly, as you say, what any coach and what any team wants from a substitute. To come in, all right, he's not changing the game because the game was already decided, but you come in and you make an impact and a positive impact. And he has at times come in when it's been much closer and has made a positive uh, a positive impact. But, you know, does this change the the story when it comes to Giorena as to should should he continue on? Is this should we view this super sub role simply as a way to become a starter next year or will he forever be looked at as a super sub, which I think is is uh, ultimately the case. But I guess it's a strange feeling to congratulate Gio on doing something that he doesn't want to necessarily be doing. No player, let's be honest, no player wants to be a substitute. But this is his lot in soccer life right now. And he's got to deal with it until, like we said, this summer when things might change dramatically and he will become uh, become a starter. I guess it might be interesting as to what role he plays this summer coming into the national team. And uh, does he start or is he a super sub for the U.S. men's national team also? Yeah, I still say it's been a lost year in terms of his development as a playmaker, which is ultimately what U.S. fans want to see. 
but give him credit. He's found a way to contribute that we never imagined. I never pictured him as a goal scoring super sub, but that's what he's essentially become on this Dortmund team. Does he have any uh, chance, though, uh, ultimately of winning a title uh, this year? Because uh, one point difference right now, as you mentioned, both teams having played 32 games and, you know, they're just kind of trading blows right now and massive blows. Who's winning the most? So the uh, if it ended up coming down to uh, goal differential, it would be interesting ultimately to see how that uh, uh, worked. But uh, but Bayern Munich's at 55 and uh, Dortmund, I think, is at 36. But so that's not going to happen for Dortmund either. Well, uh, just to mention the Bayern result, uh, you kind of jumped the gun on me there. Sorry. Uh, 6-0 over Schalke, Serge Gnabry with two goals, uh, Muller and Kimmich also found the back of the net. So as you mentioned, uh, Bayern with a one-point lead with two to play. The remaining fixtures next weekend, Bayern home to Leipzig, Dortmund away to Augsburg, and then the final round, uh, Bayern are away to Cologne, Dortmund home to Mainz. It could be over next weekend. If Bayern were to win and Dortmund were to lose, they would officially clinch. And even if Bayern win and Dortmund draw, they wouldn't officially clinch, but they'd have a three-point lead and the goal difference is such where they would have effectively clinched the title. So uh, if you assume Bayern are going to handle their business, we, we need Dortmund to win also to take this to the final round. All right. We're right back where we started and <laughs> when it comes to, well, when it comes to the EPL in terms of who, who's winning it, when it comes to the Bundesliga in terms of who's winning it and uh, and maybe some others, right? I mean, Martin Tyler, who I guess called the Arsenal-Brighton game everybody's talking about this on Twitter, went on this bizarre spiel about how the Premier League is so much different than all the other leagues and so much more competitive. And thank God the Premier League isn't like these other leagues. And he was doing this while calling the very game that essentially handed the title to City. They're third in a row. They're fifth in the last six seasons. The conversation everybody should be having is how the Premier League is going the way of all these other leagues. And City have essentially become the equivalent in England to what Bayern are in Germany and PSG are in France. I mean, it's not that much different at this point. Hey, look, if if the customer doesn't care, then nothing is ultimately going to change and there's no salary caps per se. And, you know, the 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 rich, and certainly when you talk about Bayern relative to the others and Man City relative to not everybody, because there, there's plenty of other uh, teams in the EPL that are that uh, that are spending. Martin Tyler likes the EPL. I get it. It's, he's not alone. It's the most popular league in the, in the world. Maybe not for the reasons that he that he states in terms of how others view it, but people dig it. What else? Uh, Barcelona uh, clinched the La Liga title this past weekend with four games to spare. It's their 27th La Liga title. They crossed the finish line thanks to a 4-2 away win over their city rivals, Espanyol, Robert Lewandowski with two goals. Crazy scenes at the end, though. The final whistle blows. Barcelona players are celebrating on the field, not doing anything to taunt or provoke the Espanyol fans. But nevertheless, the Espanyol ultras had an issue with it. They stormed the field. The Barcelona players had to run away from them. Uh, interesting reaction to this. There are some smart people like Gab Barcati who feel like the Barcelona players are in the wrong and they should have known better. And to be fair to Gab, that was Xavi's take afterwards. He kind of castigated his own players for not going straight to the locker room afterwards. But most people are looking at this and saying, they weren't doing anything wrong. My God, they fought nine months for this. They clinch a league title. They can't have this spontaneous celebration on the field. We had recent issues with Napoli in Udini when they clinched the title there, thanks to a draw against Udinese. Um, so I guess this is the world we live in, where if, you're, if you happen to clinch the title in an away game, you have to run off the field quickly and you can't do anything that could be perceived as taunting the home fans. No, I found that a little bizarre. It, it is a little bizarre. I, I can try to put myself in, in the shoes of... Uh, of Xavi or or of of the players, to be honest, and 
yeah, you have to read the room. And so I, I get that. I understand that. And the way that you would celebrate in front of your home fans in your home stadium might be different than what you, what you do here. But you know what? That's, that's no excuse. That's no excuse for, again, fans with this sense of entitlement uh, expressing what they feel has been a disrespectful and insulting type of display for a team that ultimately wins the title to have the audacity to actually celebrate uh, celebrate that title in the opposing team's uh, st- team stadium. You can scream and yell and call them names and you know write blogs, do whatever the hell you want to do to get out your frustration. What you can't do is come on the field. And again, there is no justification for the individuals that are involved, and there's no justification for the group think and the mass that ultimately was part of it. And we all understand that people do things in, uh, in a group or in a mob that they wouldn't do things individually. It's still absolutely disgusting and uh, has no place, not just in, in sports, but no place in life. I will say, adding an extra layer to all this, Espanol fans are grumpy because it looks like they're going to get relegated. And Espanol, ESPN did a piece on this years ago. Uh, Their relationship to Barcelona, it is the all-time big brother, little brother, inferiority complex dynamic. Uh, The piece was actually kind of amusing. It talked about how in every classroom growing up, if there's 20 kids, 19 are Barcelona fans, and there's always the one Espanol fan. (laughs) And so, yeah. They're dealing with that, and then they have to watch their hated city rivals uh, clinch the title on their field and celebrate. So I get why emotions were running high, but well, still, I agree with Well, you. I no will excuse. say this, and maybe this is where Javi might have been coming from, even though he wouldn't probably state it, uh, or Gab uh, Marcotti for that matter, is, do I care? Do I care that Barcelona won La Liga? Now, I care more that Man City won uh, and is going to win the EPL. I care more that Bayern Munich is going to win. With with what La Liga is and what La Liga has become, again, a La Liga without Messi, without uh, Ronaldo, and without the, the, the heyday of, uh, of that, where we always know it was a two, and maybe if I'm really being nice, two and a half-ish type of, uh, two and a half-ish type of league, I mean, wow, great. Congratulations, uh, Barcelona, on doing what you and Real Madrid have done anyway for years and years and years. But I don't think enough, I don't think anybody cares. My, my father was lamenting that this weekend as we were watching Barcelona clinch, just the devaluation of domestic league titles uh, yeah. in general. It's, it's a, been sort of a byproduct of the Super Club year where it's so much about winning the Champions League for these clubs. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, there is something now kind of empty about some of these. Not not for a team like Napoli, obviously, who had won in 33 years. But sure. you're right. The, the Bayerns and Barcelona. Especially in a moment when your major rival is is still in, uh, in Champions League. Which is a perfect segue. Boy, you, you are good at this. And I'm trying. Uh, we go to the uh, Champions League uh, semifinal second legs this week. Tuesday, an all-Italian affair. Inter Milan, AC Milan at the San Siro. Inter with a 2-0 first leg advantage. AC Milan hoping to have Rafael Leon back. He missed the first leg due to injury. He just signed a contract extension with AC Milan, which, by the way, has some Christian Pulisic implications, which when we do get around to talking American players and transfers, I'm sure we'll, we'll dig into that. But 
The here and now is AC Milan, hopefully with Leon back, trying to overturn a 2-0 deficit against Egypt. They're not going to. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think, I think this is too much. Uh, and I think that, I, I know you disagree that it was, I said it was done and dusted in the first leg. So I think, I think it is, it's done. Um, and so I think ultimately the more, so I think Inter Milan will be in the uh, Champions League final. And I think ultimately the one that's harder to call is uh, the City Real one. Yeah, I mean, I still give AC Milan a puncher's chance, but of course I, I picked Inter to go through beforehand. I think they're the better team and they're going to go through. Uh, and, and AC Milan in, in poor form, they lost at the weekend in Serie A, 2-0 away to Spezia. There were some bizarre scenes between them and their fans, which I know you're also going to address as part of this uh, one for the road, where you're going to talk about the relationship between clubs and their fans. So I uh, look forward to that in a couple of minutes, um, which, by the way, that result means AC Milan facing the specter of getting knocked out by Inter in the Champions League and finishing outside the top four. They're now four points out of fourth. So this could be a disastrous end to the campaign where they could end up not winning anything and finding themselves not in the Champions League for the next season. And then the other semifinal Wednesday, Manchester City around Madrid at the Etihad. First leg in Spain was 1-1. Vinicius Jr. and Kevin De Bruyne with the goals. So now uh, we'll settle it at the Etihad. Uh, what do you think? Oof, man. I, I think we talked last week about how it's hard to say who is happier about this result or who feels they, they left something on the table. I, I, I just still... As good as Man City is, and and they are, I feel like I feel like Real Madrid just does stuff, just strange stuff, and this is tailor made for them. Where after the game, you go, how is it possible <laughs> that Real Madrid found uh, found a way out of this against arguably the best team in the world, and arguably the best team in the world playing the best right now, which is what Man City, uh, I think you can absolutely argue right now. But if I had to put all of my money, I'd put it on City. And if I had to put all of your money, Mossy, I'd put it on Real. <laughs> no, I agree. I You'd win a whole lot more, I think. So I think they're going to go through, but you're right. This this uh, specter of Real Madrid in the Champions League and this magical ability they have of pulling results out of their asset. You can't discount that at all. Carlo Ancelotti has an interesting lineup decision to make. Militão was suspended for the first leg. He's available here. I think what he might do is play Militão and Rudiger in the center of the fence, push Alaba to left back, and then put Camavinga in the midfield alongside Modric and Cruz, and then drop Rodrigo and play Valverde in that sort of hybrid right wing slash fourth midfielder role that he created for him this season. That would be a more conservative lineup, but I think it might suit the situation better. And then you would have Rodrigo as a super sub, which is the role in which he famously emerged as the hero last season in the semifinal second leg between these two clubs. Uh, but we'll see. You never know with Carlo Ancelotti. He could do something completely different than what I just said, and it, it will likely work out because it's Carlo Ancelotti. So. It's, you know, he's, he's the master. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Anything else, my friend? That is it. All yeah. right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere.
All right, welcome back. It's time for uh, Ask Alexi, that point in the show where you uh, send in your comments, questions, and concerns. And you can use that hashtag Ask Alexi, or you can use hashtag Ask Mossy. Uh, and uh, we answer those questions. Or, by the way, you can call our State of the Union podcast hotline, which again is 657 549 2297. 657 549 2297. If you do send stuff in on social media, know that whether it's Twitter or TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or our YouTube channels, um, our handle is SOTU with Alexi. All right, Mossy, what do we got today? Uh, we have a voicemail. Let's take a listen right hey now. Hey, guys. This is Peter out of Provo, Utah. Just wanted to call in. Uh, I'm new to soccer. I've uh, been watching just a little over a year, and a lot of my friends always have the same concern when I try to get them in. They don't like the concept of ties. So I was thinking, why doesn't MLS develop a system where every game goes to penalties? Um, uh, yeah, what I think this would do is, number one, uh, help us get some of those traditional uh, non-soccer fans back in because no one really likes ties. And also what it would do is it would allow us to have a system in place where all of our teams have a lot more practice with penalties than any other league in, or that I know of. And then, of course, when we play international or FIFA competitions, we can still go back to the traditional format. It was just a thought. Uh, also, you guys never talk about RSL. We would love some love. Uh, well, perfect. Thanks, guys. This is Peter out of Utah. Have a good day. Bye. Oh, Peter. Peter from Provo, uh, Utah. Thank you so much. First off, um, welcome. I don't think it's too late to welcome you to soccer, and it's never, ever too late. Um, to come to soccer. And so I love the fact that uh, you are now part of the soccer community and that you are diving in. And whether it's going to games, watching games, or hell, being a fan of the State of the Union, uh, you're knee deep in it, my friend. And uh, I'm sure you've learned the handshake uh, by now and welcome. Uh, I, love, I love this question because it, it, it points out so many. Well, first off, from an RSL perspective, let's get that over, uh, over and done with. Um, you're sitting in 11th place. Peter. Um, got a lot of time for Pablo Mastriani, uh, but this is a team that, you know, is in a small market. This is a team that has had ups and downs both on and off the field. And at times, this was an elite team in Major League Soccer. Those times are long gone. And if and when you get back into what I feel would be elite status, we'll, we'll talk more about you. But I have uh, I've spent plenty of time in, uh, in Salt Lake and seeing the incredible facilities and what that team has come to mean to that city and that area. And it's, uh, and it's wonderful. But, you know, we only have so much bandwidth, if you will. But I appreciate that, uh, that you're standing up for your team. All right. More importantly, your question on ties. All right. So first off, it, it, it's a fallacy that, quote unquote, soccer people uh, like ties. Nobody likes ties. Okay. But soccer people also are incredibly protective of the game. And keep in mind, Peter, that this is a game that we didn't invent. This is certainly not a game that is king when it comes to our country and culture. And this is a game that is played globally. And so I think many soccer folks are incredibly sensitive and wary to changing it to suit an American palate and in doing so, bastardizing a game that is played all around the world with relatively 
and for the most part, the same types of rules. And part of that is the romance of it and the attraction of it. And I'll be honest with you, growing up, I loved the fact that I was playing a game that is played all over the world. And I love the fact that when I was juggling my ball on my sidewalk in front of my house back in the 70s and 80s, that there was a kid on the other side of the world that I had absolutely nothing in common with when it came to country and culture and language. But this was the thread that was also juggling a soccer ball. I thought that was pretty cool growing up in my, you know, suburban bubble young, bubble yum MTV uh, type of existence that I was in. I also will use this opportunity, Peter, to you know, give you a little history lesson. Um, way back in the day when MLS first came online in 1996, there were many in leadership positions and dis- decision makers that thought about this in the same way that you are thinking. How are we going to make this game attractive to more than just soccer fans? How are we going to make this game attractive to American sports fans that, like you said, either don't understand the concept of a tie or don't understand why ties should be involved and certainly don't like ties? And as I said before, there's a lot more soccer people that are like that. And what they did actually when MLS came to be in 96 was actually not have ties. And what they would do is have a shootout. Now, you're advocating for a traditional type of shootout from the penalty spot. What MLS did back in 96 was say, no, we're actually going to do something different. We're going to do a 35-yard shootout where a player uh, from 35 yards out actually dribbles the ball in against only the goalkeeper and tries to score. And it was was innovative. It was different. um, And it was so different that there came a point that said, what you have done is changed the game so much that we can't necessarily recognize it. And there was also a recognition that the connection to the game being played around the world was actually a positive. And so after a couple of years, that was done away with. Um, All of these things come back. And so I would not put it past MLS or anybody in the world at some point to do some different things. I am with you, Peter. I will raise my hand that while I certainly, as I think you would admit, Peter, you can enjoy a game that doesn't have a winner. If I had my way, there absolutely each and every game would be a winner coming out of a soccer game. Now, how you get to that winner, that's where the debate and discussion should be. And whether it's using traditional penalty kicks, whether it's using a shootout, whether it's, I mean, everything's been thrown out there, tabulating the number of corner kicks or possession or all these, all these different things. But ultimately, what you're, what you're saying is we want the people that come out of that stadium or the people that come out of watching that game to have a defined winner and loser. And that's kind of what we expect from sports. We recognize and can respect that in a lot of walks of life and other that are not sports parts of life, there, there is not a winner and loser. And there's this middle type of area. But we don't want that necessarily from sports. And in that sense, soccer, more than any sport, I think mirrors life. And yet, to your point, I don't think that we want to necessarily, we we use sports, at least I do, as a form of escape. And we don't want it to mirror life. And when we continue with ties that nobody wins, and ultimately you did all of this work and nothing really was resolved or decided, you're left with that feeling of it's not over. And I don't think from a sporting perspective, you ever want to be left with that feeling. So I would 
I'd be 100% on board. Whether it's penalty kicks or something else, I would be 100% on board if MLS went back to saying, you know what? There's no ties anymore. You're going to have a winner and you're going to have a loser ultimately that comes out of this game. Mossy, what do you think? I don't hate the idea of a shootout after every game. It's something Brazil actually experimented with many years back. I remember one season in the Brazilian league. So it's not that crazy. I will say to uh, Peter, RSL suffered a 3-0 home defeat to LAFC this past weekend. So we were doing a favor by the <laughs> RSL. And it, and it sh- you should say when it comes to points, oftentimes, rather than just send somebody home that loses in that, because you could have played a great game and then... It is a very different game, a penalty kick shootout or a uh, 35-yard shootout. And so oftentimes what they would do is say, all right, there's three points available. You win outright, you get the three points. If you tie then and you win the shootout, you get two points, and then the other team at least gets something out of their effort. So there's a million different ways to do it. But Peter, all of that is, is for debate and discussion. What I really love is that you're a soccer person and that you have come to the game, as I said, late, doesn't matter at all. And don't ever apologize for that. You are as much of a soccer fan as somebody that was born and bred either domestically or around the world when it comes to soccer. And so welcome, my friend. Uh, I hope it's I hope it's giving you as much joy as it's given us and so many people out there. And uh, um, and that you're trying to spread that gospel also makes me very, very happy. What else, Masi? Uh, we have a Twitter question. Mark Colalio. Uh, I apologize if I mispronounced that. Uh, he says, I coach a U10 soccer team in New Jersey, and the kids asked me at practice why the USA is not dominating. I gave the short answer of work harder. My kids are savages and all confirmed that answer stunk. <laughs> I said, I may know someone who could answer this if he replies, help. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, first off, Mark, thank you. Thank you for what you are doing. Uh, while I, I, I completely understand that uh, your kids are <laughs> absolutely savages um, on and off the soccer field, I'm sure. The fact that you are spending your time doing this warms the cockles of my redheaded heart. And, and I love that you and so many people are giving of their time, whether it's because your kids are a part of the team or, or not. You know, just spending time with kids in a soccer setting, that is, uh, that is wonderful. Now, to answer the question, perspective for a 10-year-old, <laughs> I would think, is very, very difficult to come by. I certainly didn't have it or wouldn't even understand it uh, necessarily as a 10-year-old. But giving them some sort of perspective. So when, when Mark asked me this question on Twitter, I think you know, I responded by saying, all right, here's something you can do. Line them all up on the, uh, the end line and then have you or one other player start at the halfway line and race them to the other end line and then have a discussion about why they didn't win and why uh, the two or the one player that was at the midfield line won so easily and was so much far ahead. If only to illustrate how the rest of the world has had an incredible head start uh, relative to the U.S. And keep in mind that you're talking about the men's game here because it's, it's a different equation, and I think a different conversation when it comes to the women's game where the women's game as now starting on that midfield line, as opposed to the rest of the world, which is starting on the end line. That's just to give them some perspective about how far ahead and how much of a head start the rest of the world has, uh, has had. The other thing that you can do is ask each of your 10-year-olds, what's your favorite food? And I guarantee you're going to get a lot of different answers. 
and one, you know, one will say pizza, one will say spaghetti, one will say ice cream, but it'll go back and forth. And then have a discussion about how is it possible that everybody here can't agree on what the best food is. And the debate and discussion that happens. Well, a lot of that happens when it comes to soccer in the United States, where if I ask 100 people what pretty soccer is, I'm going to get 100 different answers. And a lot of that is relative to the incredible diversity and diversity of thought that we have when it comes to our country. That is part of what we are, and I think part of what makes it great. But it also makes it at times very difficult to have an agreement as to this is how we want to play. This is what pretty soccer is. This is what a good soccer player is. All of that kind of stuff is up for discussion, much more so, I think, than other countries and cultures where there is a much more homogenous and accepted type of way of, uh, of thinking, about, uh, thinking about the game. The other thing that somebody suggested um, in response to this was take all of these 10-year-olds and throw out a basketball or throw out a football or throw out you know, something else and see what happens. And that doesn't happen in many places around the world. And yet all of the different other sports that kids play, all of the different other competition that comes from it. Now, Mark, a lot of that is just to say that having them understand that they are growing up in a very different country and culture relative to the game than most people around the world. And all of that can affect why the U.S., isn't doing what they want. Now, there's people that are listening to this and saying, well, you know, America's the greatest country in the world and we expect the best and we have incredible athletes and we have 350 million people out there. And all of this that you've said shouldn't be an excuse and that we should be better. And this is what I'll leave you with, Mark. I think you also need to impress upon them that they have the ability to do great things. They have the ability to do things that to be quite honest, none of us have ever done relative to soccer in the United States. But the reason that they have the ability in that platform is because of all of that work that has been done and all of these platforms that have been created over the, uh, over the years. And while they might not be able to see it in their 10-year-old eyes, what America is as a soccer-playing nation, those of us that have been around for a while not to rest, not by any chance to rest on your laurels, can give you some perspective and see how far that we have come as a soccer playing nation. So actually, this isn't about everybody getting a trophy. This isn't about patting us uh, on, the, on the back. But this is about recognizing that I think American soccer is a lot farther ahead than people give it credit for, than even we give ourselves credit for. And that the U.S. men's national team hasn't won a World Cup is easy to throw out there each and every moment as a, as a point of discussion, as a point of debate, as a counterpoint to those who say that we have evolved, that we have advanced. But all of that is fine and well. Mark, keep doing what you're doing. Keep coaching. I hope you continue on, whether it's with the uh, 10-year-olds or anybody else out there. Thank you so much for listening to the pod, uh, for sending your question, and ultimately for uh, doing what I feel is, uh, is God's work in terms of coaching uh, soccer. Mossy. Uh, Mark, I would tell your 10-year-old kids uh, simply, it's uh, pay for play, no pro rel, college soccer. <laughs> uh, 
some marketing, nepotism, and show pundits like Alexi. There we go. Check check all the boxes there. That's uh, that that'd be wonderful. Um, all right, listen. Uh, thank you for uh, to Mark and Peter for sending in uh, their questions. Again, if you want to be like uh, Peter and send in your questions on our State of the Union podcast hotline, you can at six five seven five four nine two two nine seven. Or if you can be like Mark and you want to send in on Twitter or any place else, there just try to use that hashtag Ask Alexi so we can uh, see it and mark it. And uh, thank you again to. Peter and Mark for sending it. And we got one more uh, one more segment here coming at the end. It's the end of our show, and I'll give you my one for road right around the corner. Don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back. It's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. We've talked a lot on this show about the relationship and the dynamic between players slash coaches and fans. And um you know, I think for a lot of players, while the fans are incredibly important and can be an incredible um, emotional and passionate driving force and that proverbial 12th man, you know, they're, they're also at times, uh, I think, seen, whether they say it publicly or not, as a pain in the ass. And the, at times, entitlement that fans and groups of fans have can uh, certainly, whether it's publicly or privately, elicit uh, elicit eye rolls. Um, the apologizing and the falling on the sword that you at times see from fa- uh, from players um, it, it drives me nuts. I think that it is incredibly uh, performative. And it is designed, I guess, and I can understand wanting to um, feel or create a situation where you are getting less criticism and heat. But I think inevitably it falls on deaf ears and it really only makes you look weaker. Um, We mentioned that uh, Atlanta United lost at home to Charlotte this week. and we had players after the game apologizing. Now, Andrew Gutmann, I think, is a really interesting and, and at times really good player. He ended up getting a red card uh, in a situation where he pushed a player in the box. You can argue, was it necessary or wasn't? I don't think you can argue whether it was a red card because he was not making an attempt on the ball and ultimately denied a goal scoring opportunity in the box. It was a penalty and ultimately it was a red card. For those that are watching, you can see the uh, the play here. And he knew he was beaten on the play and he did the last minute gasp something to try to inhibit the player from scoring. Ultimately, the player didn't score. The, the play was looked at. The red card was given. You know, it happens. We've all been kicked out of games at different times, T- at times for things that we think are valid, at times we for things we didn't think were valid. After the game, he says in a tweet to the fan base, I want to apologize to the fans and my teammates for my red card tonight. I will take full responsibility for the loss tonight. Please do not blame the players or the coaches for tonight. They gave it their all and I let them down. I will be better. Okay, so so yes, it was a pivotal moment. Yes, if you could take it back, you would, whether it's uh, Andrew Gutmann himself or Atlanta, who had to play a man down, and that's, that's difficult enough. But this is, you do this, and it never 
stops because there were plenty of errors made by your teammates, Andrew, even before you got the red card. There were plenty of things that have should have been done better. And there were plenty of things that have led and will be led in terms of the blame game out there. So I don't understand why you, you are doing this. And as I said before, I think it's, I think it's this performance art type of thing and, you know, you'll get the responses, hey, you're OK and everything's fine. And it's, a, you know, you're part, we're part of this. So we're part of this together and all that. I just think it I think it makes you look I think it makes you look weak. And then where do you stop? If, Andrew, next game you go out and you play a bad ball that results in a goal. All right. Do you take full responsibility for the loss? And you issue yet another apology. Mistakes happen in the game. And yes, big mistakes happen in the game. Yes, mistakes that you would like to take back. But when you start apologizing for these things, it never, ever ends. Um, the relationship between players and fans, as I said before, is an interesting dynamic. We saw this past uh, weekend, Milan, who Mossy, we talked about, um, they have a big week coming in, uh, in Champions League, hoping to turn that, turn that around. But they ended up losing a game to Spezia. After the game, they went over to the Curva, went over to the, uh, the fan base and basically had a post-game uh, talk with the fans. And when I say with the fans, they were being talked to. Again, on the surface, the optics of this, it looks good. Oh, you know, we're, we're part of you and we recognize and respect everything that you are doing and saying. And you're that 12th, that 12th man. I mean, okay, I, I, I get it. And, and maybe in that moment, the, the, uh, the fan base was saying, we know that this was not what you are and we want you to do, we want you to do better. Wh where does it stop? You know, are they giving now the, uh, the pregame talk? Are you required to have a PowerPoint presentation from uh, from the fans? And I know there's people listening to this right now that say that I'm uh, that I'm blaming fans or I'm I'm not appreciating the commitment, whether it's the time commitment, the resources, uh, the actual money commitment that comes to that. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is when it comes to athletics, when it comes to to, to sports, there is a separation with what happens on the field and what happens around it. It can infect it and it can, in, uh, it can influence it in many times a positive way. But I don't think that this helps AC Milan. They might say, yeah, it's just about optics and we just want to show that we're there, whether we believe it or not. And again, then it's just performative. And I do believe a lot of this is just to make themselves feel better or to placate the fans and the customers. And I, 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 it just, it will never end. And as soon as you start doing it, you will constantly have to do it. And it doesn't end up making you look any better. And as a matter of fact, I think ultimately it can make you look weak. Mossy, anything on this? No, I agree. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I was interacting with, uh, member of NYCFC supporters group, seemed like a lovely guy and NYCFC fans behave themselves just fine. So I don't want to paint with a broad brush. I'm sure the majority of supporters groups around the world are 
are harmless and just fine. But there is this like ultras culture. You, you see it in certain parts of the world, in Europe and South America. And there is this inflated sense of self-importance. You see this in Brazil all the time where when a team is struggling, the fans go to the airport and, and protest or they go to the team's training ground and, and lots of times uh, vandalize and attack the players. And it's all from this place of this is our club and the players and coaches are just passing by, but we're the true custodians of this club. And it's just, like I said, this inflated sense of importance that I, I just think sometimes it crosses the line where it's completely inappropriate. So yeah, I'm very uncomfortable with a lot of this ultra culture that you see around the world. Well, look, and again, it's, as you mentioned, it's, it's the, the sense of, of entitlement. This is sports. And I know there's people around say, oh, it's more than sports and it's a religion and all that. No, but ultimately this is just a bunch of human beings in shorts kicking a ball. And once you start losing sight of that, I think we have lost the initial and the natural intention of what, uh, what, it, what it should be. Um, I hope Andrew Gutmann doesn't make any more mistakes, <laughs> uh, but I will see if he will continue to apologize for things that he does or things that his, uh, his team does. And it doesn't mean that you can't feel a sense of responsibility or it doesn't mean that you can't take responsibility for things, uh, things that you have done uh, and mistakes that you have made. But it's pandering. Ultimately, it's just pandering. Uh, Mossy, anything before we go? That's it. Thank you to everybody. Uh, Mossy, wouldn't we be back? Thursday. We're, we're going to tape one more podcast like this on Thursday morning. And then later that day, I fly back to us. Awesome. Awesome. Well, enjoy. And my best to your family. Uh, enjoy the uh, the remaining uh, activities that you have. We look forward to seeing you back here on the, uh, on the West Coast later on. Uh, continue to review and to rate and to su- su- subscribe and do all the different things that you do out there when it comes to the State of the Union. We will have another show later on this week, as we said. And there's all sorts of stuff to happening uh, happening including champions league and uh and different stuff going on uh if you want to send in questions keep doing that uh with the hashtag ask alexi uh or on our state of the union podcast hotline 657-549-2297 we will talk to you later on this week and until then and as always my friends size the day